Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's friends are Rusty and Nancy Nighthammer. I've been trying to get them on the show for quite a while because they're the best, and they have awesome stories about hanging out with Tommy Gerald and Bruce Green, which you will hear shortly. I also never get tired of interviewing old-time musicians who are in love and jamming with old-time musicians who are in love. It's one situation where I actually really like being the third wheel. Jamming with Rusty and Nancy... They're, they're sort of like friends who are really good cooks. When they invite you over, you know it's going to be something amazing that you've never tried before. I just show up and say, what are we having? And they say, Bruce Green's Moonlight. And I say, I have no idea what that is, but it sounds great. Serve me up. And they do, and it is. You'll see. Uh, stick around after the interview, and I'll tell you how to hear Rusty's records with former guests of the show, Mark Simos, and how to support Get Up in the Cool and get awesome rewards like access to the weekly bonus track blog. For this week's bonus track, Nancy Fiddles a beautiful rendition of the East Texas Serenaders' Adeline Waltz, which is an E-flat, and Rusty backs her up on guitar. Let's get started. Rusty and Nancy Nighthammer, everybody. Enjoy. Nancy Nighthammer, welcome to Get Up in the Cool. Hi. Thanks for uh, hosting us in your in your little pop up. We're at Brandywine Revival. What is this? The fifth annual? This fourth? is the fourth. Fourth annual, yeah. Cool. Third in my book, but yeah. <laughs> so uh, you two are married. You play fiddle together and uh, play old time music together. Um, I would like to know 
how you got into playing music in general, maybe each of you, and then how you got into playing old-time music. Is that the same story? Are there different stories? Uh, yeah, who wants to start? Did you start together separately? What? Well, we, we both were playing music before we were married, so, okay. so separately. Yeah. Um, in my case, um, I got a guitar. Um, Good there, start. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I had something to play. I yeah. just didn't really. There wasn't any music that really inspired me that I was aware of at first. Yeah. And then around 1973 or so, I think it was. I, 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 I used to do um, volunteer for the staff at the Philadelphia Folk Festival. Oh, okay, great. And about I think it was about 73, the year I graduated from high school. Uh, I was doing that, and the Highwood String Band and the Greengrass Cloggers were there, and they came on stage and just instantly, yeah, you know, caught my, you know, it, it was well. I like to say it was the oddest sounding bluegrass I ever heard. I didn't <laughs> yeah. know what it was, uh, well but I, I knew that I loved it, and I had to find out more. So, turns out that uh, radio station WXPN in Philadelphia. Uh, had a show on at the time called Homegrown. It was on every morning. Hmm. Um, people you know DJed it. Emily Fine, Keith Grand, um, other other people. You know, there were lots of people that DJed Homegrown, and they played old time music. And so I heard a lot of old time music, especially in the summertime. Um, a couple summers, I uh, a friend and I uh, had our own little company of re-roofing houses, so we listened to the radio while we were banging nails into shingles on the roof. Yeah. And uh, so I heard lots of old-time music and didn't know much about it, but you know, there was I knew that that was something I wanted to explore. And then about '75, uh, I went with some friends to a, an old-time fiddlers convention in Chilhowee, Virginia, way down the southern border of Virginia, near Tennessee, and and uh, heard it up close. And there were some people there who were willing to show me a little bit. I had a banjo at that point. Um, Ken Davidson was there. Uh, uh, it was Kanawha Records booth, and I got some records. Uh, one of them was was uh, one of the county banjo records, and another one was uh, Peter Feldman's instructional record on how to, to how to play clawhammer banjo. Yeah. And I took that home and just spent did nothing else for two weeks, yeah. and pretty much learned the, the basics in, in that amount of time, and and then just began to play banjo all the time. Fiddle followed. Yeah. Fiddle kind of took over. Yeah, <laughs> I see that happening. Yeah, but <laughs> I still love, I still love to play banjo. Yeah. Nancy, Nancy, what about you? Well, I actually grew up playing classical clarinet. Very good. <laughs> and um, played it through college. I was a music major, and played a little oboe while I was in college as well. And um, one summer, I was a um, camp counselor at a camp up in Connecticut and um, ended up coming back home with a banjo. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I, my banjo teacher had a friend who was Jody Stecker who would okay. come up and they would play um, bluegrass gigs up there. And so Jody was playing fiddle at that point and I really liked his fiddling. I still really admire his musicianship and admire his fiddling. And that's kind of what inspired me to take up fiddle. And once I took up fiddle, 
the banjo sort of went by the wayside. Uh -huh. I, I love, <laughs> I just fell in love with the fiddle. Yeah. So I, I played the fiddle, and I think it wasn't until I went to UCLA, I was studying ethnomusicology at UCLA, oh, very good. that I really started listening. I think Tommy Gerald records were coming out at that point, yeah. and I started so listening to his mid-70s. Yeah. So, um, so I was... I was in a band with someone who was a big fan of Tommy's, um, Mike Springer, and Richard Toomey was also in that band, um, and Lori Cole, Ron Cole's sister. So Tommy Gerald actually came out on tour in 1975 and played at the San Diego Folk Festival and handed out address labels to people said, come visit me. And I kind of wrote it off because I thought, well, he can do that because, you know, how many people are really going to go right. all the way across country to visit him? So I really didn't take it too seriously. But, you know, I, I kind of had a fantasy of living in North Carolina and studying with Tommy Gerald. Yeah. But I kind of also dismissed it because I thought, I don't know anyone there, you know, and he probably just, you know, he didn't expect people to really take him up on it. Right, right. So on. So... In 1980, I came east, and, um, well, that's another story, actually, and to take that story further, it's a later story, but we will. <laughs> <laughs> when, I, when I arrived, um, Brendan Doyle and I traveled across country together, and um, we arrived at Brandywine kind of late in the day, and I was really tired. Brendan didn't drive, and I did all the driving, and I was really tired, so I went in my tent, took a little nap got up about midnight and started walking around and listening to all the music that was going, which was fantastic. Brandywine 1980 was just amazing. And I happened to notice this one session where people were playing tunes I knew. Yeah. So I got my fiddle out, totally dark, couldn't see the people, but I got my fiddle out and joined the session and played all night till dawn and it got light. and. Um, should I tell the story about the middle of that session? Sure. <laughs> in the middle of the session, there was somebody who was um, literally in the middle of the session. Like, we were standing in a circle playing, and this guy was in the center, uh -huh. and he had had a little too much to drink. Yeah. And he was joining in the session by singing very off-key something that really had nothing to do with what we were playing. Uh -huh. And it was getting a little difficult to enjoy the music. And... Um, someone in this session kind of went up to him and sort of whispered something in his ear and he kind of just quietly walked, you know, disappeared, walked away. And, and I remember being really impressed, like, wow, you know, that was cool. How did he do that, you know, without getting the guy angry or upset or anything? I thought it was really amazing. Well, it wasn't until years later that I found out that that was Rusty that did that. I think we were married by the time I, I found were, that yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, when it got light, we all kind of introduced each other around, yeah. so I met everybody, and then Rusty was hanging out with people from California, that I, other people had come from California the that Canodes summer. And, um, Greg and Jerry Canote, and, you know, so we were all kind of camped together, and Rusty was hanging out and playing with us. It wasn't really until the next spring that we sort of got involved dramatically, but, but that was where we met. And I guess it was years later, too, that I realized that's where I met you, was in that session. Mm -hmm. So... Well, just truth be told, I had my eye on you. 
1980. <laughs> so I didn't forget. <laughs> well, uh, let's uh, let's play another tune. But then I'd love to uh, uh, hear the story of standing with Tommy. What is, what is this next tune? Midnight. Yeah, let's play Midnight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so where you learn this tune? Well, I was going to say that the last tune was was a tune we learned from Tommy Gerald. Yes. Directly, both of us. You know, Nancy probably more than me, but anyway. Um, so, and he was a big influence on on both of us. Spoiler alert: you did go study with him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah right. right. Your fantasy came true. Yeah. Yes, which exactly. We'll talk about after this. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, but this next tune is. Uh, one we learned from another influential fiddler for both of us, and that's Bruce Green. Uh, Bruce, as many people know, you know, spent a lot of time in uh, in Kentucky, and Tennessee, Virginia, North Carolina, um, recording and learning from older generations of fiddlers, and, and you know, his work is, of course, well known and, and priceless. So, so this tune is one we learned from Bruce, and I don't know his source. I'm sure he does. Yeah. <laughs> it's called Midnight. Uh, moonlight. <laughs> Midnight's different. Moonlight.
I really like that tune. I think that one's going to stick. <laughs> I learned a lot of tunes for this show, and then a lot of them just sort of slough off. I think I'm going to keep thinking about that. Yeah, well. You don't yeah. play as uh, Durang's Hornpipe, do you? The, the one from, uh, uh, who is it? Dar uh, not Darley Falls, no. It's like... Yeah. I do, kind of, yeah. That's a really cool one. Yeah, it is. That's the first one I heard of, uh, of his. That Do all of his tunes, do they say Bruce Greens? And then is that how people talk about them? Well, I mean, my take on it is that Bruce is, has, has, is so highly studied and researched, you know, has done so much research and knows so many tunes from, from these people that he visited yeah. that he's become a source. Yes. And, and he changes things just like everyone does. Sure. So, while it, I think it's pretty easy to tell the relationship between his version and the, the source version, yeah. You can also oftentimes hear how he's changed things, yeah. mostly for the better. Yeah. I'm going to say I like every change, but I love his playing. So. Yeah. It's, I know. So, uh, how, how did you guys meet Tommy Jarrell? Well. Should I continue my story? Yes, yes. Two separate stories there, sort of. Yeah. But, yeah, you continue yours. Yeah, you go first. And then, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, so. After Brandywine, Brandon and I went off to visit fiddlers um, further south, and we um, visited Tommy, who is one of our main goals, and uh, we stayed three nights, and he was trying to get us to stay longer. You know, he, he just loved having people visit him. He's a very gregarious person, yeah. and um, just loved having people come. And um, we just didn't want to overstay our welcome, so we yeah. thought, well, we don't want to stay too long. Yeah. But we went and visited some other fiddlers, and we went and visited Hammond's family and Mose Kaufman and some other fiddlers in the yeah. area. And originally, the plan was that we were going to head up to New England. But um, we, I, I kept feeling like I, want, I wanted to go back down and visit Tommy some more. Yeah. I mean, I was just, the idea that he just loved having people come and visit, I just really wanted to do that some more. So, um, I, um, Brendan very kindly uh, offered to um, find another way to New England, uh -huh. and I um, turned back and went back down and stayed in, in Mount Airy. And... So I was there for two, three weeks. I, um, Paul Brown was there at the same time, and cool. Stephen Sanders, and they were staying with this guy in the basement of a men's rooming house in Mount Airy. It's just very near Toast, where Tommy lived. Yeah. And um, so they kind of talked this woman who ran the rooming house into renting a room for me upstairs, even though it was really a men's rooming house. Uh -huh. And I hung out with them, and we went over to Tommy's during the day and hung out with Tommy. And, of course, time passed really fast, and before I knew it, it was time for me to go back to California, where yeah. I had a job and an apartment all set up. <laughs> and I just started feeling more and more like I didn't really want to do that. I wanted to stay. So I went to um, Winston-Salem, went to an employment agent in Winston-Salem, and I thought, well, you know, can't hurt to try. Within two days, I had a job and an apartment in Winston-Salem. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, That's awesome. And, and then I got, I, I got nervous about calling back to my job to tell them I wasn't coming back. Yeah. Got, you know, I finally said, well, I have to do it. You know, so I called them up and I said, you know, I really think I'm going to stay here. And they said, oh, we knew you weren't coming back. <laughs> I mean, I, somehow they knew I was, I was headed here and, you know, yeah. that was it. I didn't know it. And the whole Under thing, the pretense of a vacation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the whole thing fell into place so magically. And then, yeah. and, you know, I kind of couldn't believe it. But then after I thought about it, I realized that I had sort of been putting these pieces in place for literally years. Yeah since, you know, 1975, where I ended up getting myself a career that was very portable and just, you know, and I had all my stuff in storage and <laughs> I just set it all up kind of unconsciously, meanwhile telling myself, oh, well, this is silly, this is just a fantasy. <laughs> so I ended up staying there um, two years and visiting Tommy a lot and learning from him, which is really an amazing experience. So. Really happy that happened. Yeah. What did What did he teach you? Did he teach, or did you just sort of absorb through osmosis? Like, did he give you pointers? Um, certain things he would point out, but yeah. mostly osmosis. Mostly, yeah, mostly just playing with playing him. with him yeah. and just watching. And I had already been studying his bowing before I came east from the records. I was listening, was listening really closely, yeah. trying to pick up his bowing, because yeah. I was really interested in bowing and how critical it is to this the phrasing and how the music sounds. Yes. So that helped a lot because I already had, you know, gotten a fairly good ways towards, you know, picking up his bowing. I mean, I learned a lot more from yeah. being there and playing with him and watching him and just, it was just wonderful to know him. It's just a, a really special person. So, yeah. yeah. That's what I hear. Over yeah. And over again. Yeah. What, yeah, when did when did you come into the picture? Um, well, I didn't I didn't really well I came into that picture a little later, uh -huh. um, but there was a different picture. Yeah. Where I first met Tommy, and that was in 1979. Um, I had been out of college about two years. I'd been working, had a job I didn't really like, so I quit. Um, <clears throat> I had met Paul Brown uh, maybe the year before, so Paul Brown is this common thread. In yeah. Two stories, uh, and a lot of people's stories, I'm sure. And uh, so, at one point, Paul and I were corresponding. I, I had actually visited Paul. I had a work assignment near where he lived, and got to know him a little bit. So, Paul was kind of in the same situation. He was had had a career that he decided really wasn't uh, wasn't the long term thing for him. So he wrapped that up, and about the same time, I did mine and. Um, quit my job and so we uh, decided we were going to take a trip to the west coast in his 1970 Saab 96 quite a car and uh, so our first stop on that trip was the Mattery Fiddle Contest and not exactly on the direct route but it was uh, definitely something uh, we wanted to do and Paul knew Tommy uh, probably through Ray Alton would be my guess because Ray was you know, involved in recording all these guys in that area and made many, many trips down there. And Paul, I'm sure, was along for many of those. So Paul knew Tommy. Um, we went over to visit Tommy at his house in Toast, North Carolina, and I was just, you know, floored that I had yeah. gotten to meet this icon, you know. Um, 
and we hung out with him at the festival and I watched him play and you know I just really not didn't feel like it was my place to, to jump in there and play with him so I didn't but uh, but I certainly heard a lot and like you know really loved his playing and then it was I really got to know Tommy after I gotten to know Nancy and Nancy was you know visiting Tommy and we were getting Nancy and I were a couple at that point long distance relationship uh, uh, airfares on Piedmont Airlines. $29? Yeah, (laughs) round trip. Uh, Wow. And we got... uh, Promotional. They just started up. Right. And uh, so, (laughs) yeah, so made many trips to uh, North Carolina, and and along with Nancy, we visited Tom, you know, and that's where I really got to know him, got to play with him. So, that's my story. Yeah. Very cool. My Tommy Jarrell story. Then when Piedmont Airlines, the fares went up too high, couldn't afford them anymore. That's what I had to move up here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think your job sort of got a little weird, too, at that point. Well, it was more that your job, it was a bigger deal for you to change yeah, jobs. Yeah, my job was not portable at that yeah. point. I had gotten a job. I had a more portable career yeah. at that point. That's the dream, a portable yeah. career. Right. <laughs> Look, looking into that now. Well, it was before the days of telecommuting and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, so, what's the next tune on the list? Well, I was thinking um, uh, uh, a lot of the music we, old time music that we like, um, uh, you know, falls in the, what I call the, the realm of the classics, meaning the, the, the uh, Library of Congress recordings that uh, Alan Lomax and, and people along with him made, and this is one of those. Uh, Luther Strong was, was uh, one of those fiddlers that Alan Lomax recorded, and, you know, this, this tune, I think, is just. What's the name of this tune? Uh, this is give. This is Luther Strong's "Give the Fiddler a Dram." Right. Um, so a bit about this tune. Um, this is a version that Nancy and I jointly constructed because uh, if you ever listen to the original recording of Luther Strong playing it, uh, you'll realize that he's all over the place and yeah. in terms of how he's organizing the tune or or disorganizing it or yeah. <laughs> whatever you might want to call that. He and plays it by himself. He, so yeah, he yeah. plays it by himself. So he does whatever he wants. Exactly. Yeah. And, for our purposes. And who knows what state of sobriety he might have been in at the sure. time. But, but so we've kind of, you know, after uh, several years, kind of coalesced this version, uh, which is the way we like to play it. Yeah. Done it that way for years. So here we go. It makes a weird kind of sense. Yeah. I'm starting to get yeah. it. Yeah, I'm starting to get uh, it. Yeah. Turn off my brain. Like, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, you kind of do have to turn yeah. off your brain. Because it's, it's, it's out there. <laughs> All right. Thank you. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's probably one of my favorite tunes of all time. I'd say <laughs> I have a bunch of favorite tunes of all time, <laughs> but that one is really great. So um, Nancy and I met in 1980, um, kind of dated for a couple of years, uh, and we ended up deciding to get married in 1982. And uh, by that time, we were both living in the Philadelphia area. And uh, Mark Simos, a uh, friend of ours and, and also an uh, uh, artist on this podcast series, mm -hmm. you may have already heard, um, uh, were friends, had been friends, we had been friends with Mark for a long time, Nancy especially, she knew him from uh, the West Coast. And uh, so we had a big wedding celebration and uh, Mark's gift to us, the wedding gift to us, was this tune called Nighthammer Honeymoon. Done it again, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> so we should maybe just a word about the fiddles we're playing. Yeah, please. Um, <clears throat> while, while we're talking about romance, right? It's <laughs> kind of like a romantic the ultimate aspect fiddle romance the, yeah. here. Um, uh, it was 19, uh, 2014. Um, we decided that Nancy needed a better fiddle than the one she had, and we had been hearing about uh, this maker in Tennessee named Gene Horner. Charles Gene Horner, and we'd heard and played a bunch of his fiddles and 
really loved them and thought that Nancy thought that was the way to go. So we, on the spur of the moment, decided we had to go down there and you know check this out. And so I, I knew that Mike Bryant knew Gene Horner very well. So I got in touch with Mike Bryant and found out that you don't order fiddles from Gene Horner, you go and see what he has. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you, and if you like one, you buy it. That's just, that's the business model. And so we, we made arrangements with Mike and Marsha and went down there, went to Gene Horner's shop. Nancy's trying out fiddles, I'm trying out fiddles. Um, we were sort of in two separate clusters, I guess. <laughs> Mike was, was really paying attention to Nancy because she was the one who we were there to get the fiddle for. Yeah. And Nancy found one she liked. And that's the one she has. And uh, I think she had pretty much settled on that fiddle. And then I came over to where you and Mike were, were looking at these two fiddles. They were brand new. He just, just strung them up. And there was another fiddle in the same double case that that fiddle was in, and that was this fiddle. And they just were too close and <laughs> too good to, yeah. to pass up, so we ended up buying two fiddles. <laughs> and these fiddles were made in 2014, July of 2014. They're from the same batch of wood. Huh. Um, they sound and play amazingly alike, although they're yeah. not, of course, identical, but they're very close. Yeah. Slightly different yeah. color. Yeah. Color. yeah, the voice is a little different. Yeah, uh, but other than that, I mean, I can I can pick that fiddle up and it just feels right at home. That's yeah, cool. we've so. been really happy with these yeah. fiddles. Yeah. yeah, we've been fiddling together for so long now. It makes sense that you should have twin fiddles. Yeah, actual yeah. twin. Yeah, it was it was a good outcome. I think I right. really was glad because I I haven't I have another nice fiddle that I really like, but I, I, this is the one I play all the time. Almost reminds me of uh, I don't know if you ever read the Harry Potter books. Did you ever read them? I've yes. heard of you them. Know, You've read them? Yes. You know, like they go to the wand, the wand shop. Right. And, yeah. <laughs> Except for instead of Harry and Voldemort, it's actually two people who are in love, and it's not creepy. But <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, cool. So we got one one tune left. Okay. And uh, right, yeah, just, this is the one. Um, what's this? What's this last one? This one is kind of a. So this one has a connection to Brandywine too. Um, it's called Polly's Mountain Kettle, and the story, as I understand it, is it started out as a, a variant of Polly put the kettle on, um, played by Bard Ray, uh, North Carolina Piedmont area fiddler, and um, it somehow he, there was one recording of that he played of this of this Polly put the kettle on that just had this different feel to it and I think people like Bruce Malski, uh, Danny Kornblum and uh, probably most uh, influentially uh, Tracy Schwartz took that and just kind of morphed it into this festival version that's yeah. really fun to play. So, Polly's Mountain Kettle. Well, Rusty Nansen, thanks so much for being on the show. Uh, before we play this, anything uh, you'd want to plug? Cliffhangers? The Cliffhangers, uh, you probably heard about that on the, the Mark Simons podcast. Yeah. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a cliffhanger, I play guitar on this. Yeah. So there's three of those? There's three of those. There's three albums. There's three albums. Uh, one, one is uh, the Cliffhangers uh, playing traditional tunes. Um, that's called uh, On the Edge. Yeah. Um, 
and then there are two others that are all uh, Mark Simo's original tunes with cool. the cliffhangers and friends. Right up. Uh, Notes 1 and 2. Cliff Notes 1 and 2, and one of them is called Big Ears. That's the subtitle of Big Ears. Okay. <laughs> so there you go. And then uh, Nancy and I actually made a recording uh, in 2005 that was never officially released, but it has a number of tunes that we love to play with friends. And, and it's available to anyone who wants it. Okay. Uh, yeah, charge. contact me if you want yeah, to hear that. Right. Is it, Will, you say Steve Arkins on that one? Yeah, he is. Yeah, anyone else? Uh, Liz Toffee. Great. Uh, Steve Kessler and uh, Deb Tanker. Great. It's recorded in a tent uh, at Lake Genera, just like this. <laughs> right on, right on. Well, thanks so much. Let's, uh, it's been fun. Holly Brown on camera. If you want to hear the recordings Rusty made with Mark Simos as the cliffhangers, those CDs are all available for order at fivestring.com. That's the number five hyphen string.com. Uh, click the e-store link and look for On the Edge and Clifftop Notes Volume 1 and 2. Um, and all the links I mentioned will be included in this episode's description on your device, my website, and the Get Up in the Cool Facebook page. 
If you're a fan of Get Up in the Cool and want me to keep making it, the best way to let me know is to sign up to regularly support the show on Patreon. Just go to CameronDeWitt.com and click the Patreon button. There you'll find different levels of support with different rewards, ranging from a shout-out on the show to bonus tracks, MP3 downloads, and online banjo workshops. Podcasts only exist as a free entertainment medium, but I wouldn't make this show as consistently as I do if it weren't for my Patreon supporters. Speaking of which, thanks to Lucy Clark and Black Creek Fiddlers Reunion for signing up last week. It really means a lot and helps me get through the not-as-fun parts of making the show, like editing and uploading. So I've got some good news and bad news. I'll start with the bad. I'm not going to be at Gennaro this year, but it's for a pretty good reason. I'm going to be playing the Midwest Sing and Stomp in Chicago. And while I'm there, I've got some pretty exciting guests lined up. So if you're going to be in the Chicago area on September 2nd, get your tickets now at singandstomp.com. It's only $15 and it looks like it's all day long. So I hope to see you there. Thanks for listening, friends. Come back same time next week for more Get Up in the Cool.